Your brain might just help you learn something in more ways than one. Welcome to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Dr. Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist. He'll be your guide on this crazy exploration designed to bring life back into our existence. Can you become the element of change in an ever-changing world? Possibly, but you've got to listen on to find out. Now here is the host of Absurd Psychology, Dr. Gary Bell. Welcome everybody. Okay, we're going to be talking about financial and how it affects relationships and our mind. You know, it's amazing uh, how our thoughts influence our moods, attitudes, our behaviors, how we perceive our relationship, our work situation, our overall satisfaction with life. And what we say to ourselves greatly determines our present and future. And this applies to our financial situation as well. You know, believe it or not, there is actually psychology involved in saving and spending and how we pay our bills and how we save for a rainy day or whether or not, you know, we ship some money off for a retirement account. But there's this inner voice that we all have that's guiding us down our financial paths. And where we end up is determined by what the inner voice is telling us. And so the good news is that we're in control of our thoughts. And at any time, we can decide to view things differently. And if we've gotten off track, we can shoot a, a new idea to a point of financial stability and security. And, and it's important. To be aware of the different thoughts that can cause us to self-destruct and veer off in the wrong direction. You know, you, know, you need to have what, what others have is a real problem. You know, I need to have what everyone else has. Trying to keep up with other people is a huge, huge, huge mistake. So what if they have a flashier car than you do? Who cares if their, their, their motorcycle or their Harley costs more than your house? You know, chances are they're in debt up to their necks. And wake up every morning wondering if today's the day someone's going to show up for a visit to take their bike away or their car away or their home away. And by the way, nobody else really cares what you have. They're too busy worrying about what they have. You know, and, and then we have this idea of I can pay for it later. Only the only, only one only needs to look at the current housing crisis and the fact that the average American household has over eight thousand dollars in eight thousand in credit card debt to appreciate. Uh, you know that that this is faulty thinking. And if you can't pay cash or pay it off within a month, don't buy it. And, and you know, uh, some people think, well, I'm too young to worry about retirement. Well, you're never too young to start saving for retirement. And consider that a $1,000 socked away when you're 20 grows at 10% per year. It's almost $73,000 when you're 65. And the same $1,000 when you're 50 will grow to 4200 at the same age. And this is due to compound interest, you know. And, and so... You know, if you uh, many people look at themselves and go, well, I don't have enough money for saving. Well, this is the biggest lie we tell ourselves. Most every person, every person can find money each month to put into a retirement account. Granted, you may have to stop eating out 10 times a week or forgo buying a house or buying those those rims for your car or finding money in your budget 
is going to happen uh, if you don't do the trivial pursuit and the impulse buying. You know, keep in mind that these are only a few of the things we say to ourselves, which keeps us from becoming financially set. And so to take a few minutes, ask yourself what your inner voice is telling you about saving and spending. It will pay off in the long run to do something like that. You know, your spending decisions are often triggered by your financial psychology, but you have to think about something. Now, if you're in a relationship, And let's say you're 30, 40 years old and you don't have any money in the bank and you're living paycheck to paycheck and maybe you're renting, whatever the deal is. Maybe you're struggling just to get by. Well, don't you feel like a teenager, you know, if you're living paycheck to paycheck? Because that's how kids live. They live as if they have no debt. They live as if they have no responsibility. And that's how people continue to move on in life. They don't teach themselves the discipline of saving money. And here's the sad part. As you middle, you reach the middle age of life, especially if you're in a career job in this day and age where uh, they're looking for cheaper and more efficient ways to staff like uh, contracting and contracting out to other people and, and uh, hiring people temporarily. You know, the, the, most corporations are not hiring people for the 30-year run. And, and so what they're really, really looking for is somebody they can hire to get the project done. Or they're hiring somebody that can multitask until they burn out. Or they're hiring somebody until they can work 12 to 16-hour days and then burn out. You know, the bottom line is corporations aren't structured like they used to be. And so, you know, when you're 40, 50 years old, you're kind of out of the market you're not quite as valuable as one would think you are. And so they get laid off quite often, and then they end up jobless, and then they end up having to take a job half the money because and, and waiting six months to do it because they are too old to bend into the job market unless they can find a niche that, that works from their experience level. So what I'm really trying to say is save money, especially when you're young, and tuck it away because you may need it at some point in your life where things go into a crisis and all you have is that little treasure chest that you've saved up. And, you know, God forbid you don't have to touch it. And and the good thing is, is if you can get to retirement with that little, you know, nugget, you're going to have a nice uh, ability to have comfort. You know, people that live with money in the bank that can cover their bills for three months think entirely different because they don't feel vulnerable to crisis. They don't feel vulnerable to their car. They don't feel vulnerable to their home. They they don't feel vulnerable. They feel like they're safe. And so they think differently than people that are thinking in the brainstem way, which is I'm in crisis all the time because I'm financially unstable. So people that are financially unstable are always seeking comfort. And so what they'll do is they'll find that comfort in a, in a credit card. They'll find that comfort in a purchase. They'll find that comfort in buying food all the time and going out to lunch and treating themselves in that way or, or drinking or whatever. But the big deal is, is that those people live in a very vulnerable state of mind. And as we go through life, it is too stressful to continue to live that way. Yet many people do, and they end up finding themselves in a one-star nursing home that's state-funded or federally funded, living in the fourth ward of some horrible town, and uh, wonder what happened to their life. Well, the bottom line is you got to save money because money is the only way we survive these days. It's not about going out into the jungle like it used to be. It's not a lot about, a lot about hunting or all that kind of stuff. What it is about 
is saving money because money is what makes the world function. It is a global economy. So if you're, you're money avoidant, you'd prefer not to think about money and often spend mindlessly. If you have that kind of a psychology, it might seem easier to buy without thought and to deal with overdrafts and maxed out credit cards later than to learn how to budget and track your spending can be a great thing. You know, money worshipers and status seekers are also vulnerable to overspending. You know, individuals with these scripts might know exactly how much they're spending, although not all do. But for these spenders, the pride of ownership is more important than keeping a positive bank balance and becoming debt-free. And then there's money vigilant people that are prone to overspending, which can cause emotional distress, even even potentially cost money in the long term. For instance, someone who thinks this might keep an old pair of shoes uh, for years, saving their annual $65 they spend on a new pair would eventually cause an injury that costs thousands of dollars. So oversaving money can also cause us a lot of problems. It's quality, not quantity in life that can get us by. You know, saving. Very few Americans are saving enough. And in some cases, money scripts could be to blame. You know, lackluster savings are sometimes related to things like stagnant wages. But your commitment to saving is also tied to your financial psychology. So if you're a money avoidant person and you're uncomfortable with money because you think people with money are immoral or bad... You might even sabotage your savings to relieve feelings of guilt about having money. So when it comes to money worship and money status scripts, saving generally takes a backseat to spending or even splurging. But, you know, this is you. That doesn't mean you're always uncomfortable holding on to some money. After all, it can be another way to impress others. But money vigilant are also very likely to have robust savings, which is definitely a good thing. But sometimes it's important to dip into your savings. Making money choices based on fear is rarely the way to go. Investing is important. You know, your money psychology influences your investment choices, which can have long-ranging consequences. For the money-avoidant people, investing can seem too risky or complicated. After all, if you don't bother, then you don't have to make the uncomfortable decisions to actually invest. And someone with this pattern tends to jump on the bandwagon buying so-called hot stocks or liquidating during downturns without thinking much about the outcome. Money worshippers and money status seekers go for risky investments in part because they fear missing out on the next big thing and because they want a shortcut to wealth and that makes them vulnerable to investing bubbles and get rich schemes. And so the money vigilant might also uh, opt out of uh, investing as the fear of losing money in a market downturn can can keep them from taking on the risk involved. So when they do invest, they focus on investments that will protect their principal. And this is a bet that seems safe, but, but it erodes the buying power of their money because growth won't outpace inflation. Now, I am no financial expert. I am just your average person walking through life. Uh, trying to buy just like the rest of us. I'm not wealthy and I'm not poor. I'm just right there in between. But I can tell you that I've had to fall back on my uh, 401ks to get by for months, a few months at a time, simply because there's pockets of time where cash flow isn't as good as it needs to be and quality of life will degradate for my children or, or for my family. And so, yes, we cut back, but but you have to be very careful. And and, and the good news is if you, you're, you're strategic and you save that money, 
uh, over time, you're going to end up having at least something to fall back on and it's not going to stress you out. You know, uh, you have to convince yourself that your money script or your money psychology might steer you to make some irrational choices. But it's important to remember that your money scripts are neither right or wrong. There's nothing more than financial lens through which to see the world. You need that. And once you understand your money psychology, you give yourself a gut check the next time you make a big or even small financial decision. It's, it's your first instinct really the best option. And usually it's not. Or is it just what feels comfortable? And that's not a good choice. It is your logical choices that do better when we're making financial choices. If you're a human being and you likely carry unconscious beliefs about money, maybe you think you don't deserve to spend it. Or maybe that you need more to be happy. Beliefs like this can steer you towards counterproductive money choices without even realizing You know, we've all been there. But harmful money thoughts really don't need to last forever. And so what you need to know about your money psychology might be hurting you. And and so you might want to break free. You know, uh, it's very important, this concept. It was, it was actually developed by a financial psychologist, which I've never heard of before, but this financial psychologist, Bradley Klontz. And he coined the term, and that's K-L-O-N-T-Z. And, and he coined this term money scripts to describe our core beliefs about money and the scripts we wrote ourselves early on uh, and can't help but follow. You know, the truth is a lot of people will gravitate towards or below and sometimes above the amount of money in which their parents make and the income level in which their parents make. They don't go higher or lower. They keep themselves in that money script of what their parents did. And so sadly, many people that are poor stay poor because they've learned how to compromise and they've got comfortable with that lifestyle rather than a lifestyle where they have something of substance. You know, the biggest thing is we want to identify our script. And if you follow the script, you, you, like a money avoidance, you believe that money is bad and you personally don't deserve money and you might think good people shouldn't care about money, rich people don't deserve wealth. Maybe you believe money is a source of stress, so it's better even a virtue to do with less. And then there's people that worship money. And if you're in this category, you believe that money will automatically bring you happiness or fulfillment. You can never be too rich and it's not possible to be poor and happy. Uh, you know, uh, um, you know. the truth is I've met many, 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 many people that have tons and tons of money but are very, very unhappy. Um, you know, I, I grew up where my parents divorced but my mom married a very wealthy doctor. And the fact was is that that doctor – and her were some of the most miserable people I've ever seen in my life just because they went all over the world. They did great things. They built a beautiful house. They had a beautiful life in many ways, but they were never happy. So the truth is money is not your source of happiness, but money is your source of allowing your spirit to do what its passions want you to do. It gives you more resources to do more with your life. And so if you can look at money as a way to enhance other people's lives and enhance your own through that, that is a great way to operate in a money type of of, uh, script. You know, money status is another script. And if you're all about money status, your self-worth gets tangled up with your net worth, which means you start believing things like my success is measured by my income and the things I own reflect my worth. Well, you know, that money status thing comes and goes. And so a lot of people, if you're going to depend on your income, which is usually bent on or dependent on other people, 
uh, you're going to find yourself very insecure because markets go up and down. People go up and down. People quit. People go away. Um, you know, money sources come, money sources go. Money sources are good some years and bad other years. If you don't invest in your money sources, oftentimes you don't get anything back in the long run. You know, the money vigilant person, they keep a careful, stingy watch on their finances and they believe things like research all purchases to get the best deal or always save for a rainy day, uh, though often the rainy day never comes. And this kind of thinking is usually quite helpful. You know, I love the fact that people look at ratings on products now and they go on the internet. I think it's a wonderful thing that you could shop on the internet and actually find out if a product is worth it or not. And many times you can get a refund if it's not what they advertise. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. And, and some people are too impulsive to actually take the time to do that, to figure out what is the best price and what is the best quality. You know, your money script, if you're reading one of those descriptions and, and that, you know, th the thought is that isn't what everyone thinks, that's probably a, a sign. Once you're aware of your money script, you can better understand how it affects your important decisions and you can expect uh, to develop change in your life. You know, self-worth or self-esteem is a term that uh, psychologists use to talk about how you feel about yourself. So people who feel good about themselves, most of the time are said to have high self-worth. And people who feel bad about themselves are said to have low self-esteem or low self-worth. And so when you say, I'm a good person, I believe in myself, I like me, or I feel crummy about myself, I don't respect myself, you're talking about your personal view of your own self-worth. And how you feel about yourself will affect how you handle your money. So here's an example. Let's imagine you don't believe you can be successful, so you have low self-esteem. And if that's the case, you probably don't believe you'll be able to be financially successful. So when that's your belief, you may not do those things that help you to be financially successful, such as save or invest or seek advice for financial uh, or uh, professional advice. So it's important to change negative beliefs about yourself. Otherwise, those beliefs are going to cause you to behave in ways that don't benefit you and may actually cause you to think more negatively about yourself. All right, we're going to come back. And we're going to talk about creating your own money mindset and really attacking how you can es establish really good self-esteem when it comes to your finances, no matter how poor you may be. Come back. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Dr. Gary Bell is available for speaking engagements as well as teaching at your seminar or workshop and life coaching via telephone Skype or in person in the Seattle area. Dr. Bell brings his no-nonsense, straight-from-the-hip discussions each week on the show, but it doesn't stop there. Learn about motivation and psychology, one-couple marriage repair, a two-day workshop in Seattle, and more. Visit drgbmft.com today or call Dr. Gary Bell at 951-818-7856. That's drgbmft.com or 951-818-7856. It's time to transform your life. 
Start by tuning in to The Glenise Show with Glenise Hughes. Glenise combines business, relationships, wealth, life, and a whole lot of magic to create abundance and prosperity in every part of your life. It's all done through straight and often frank discussions in the best way that Glenise knows how. Listen every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time and 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Master your life with The Glenise Show. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it will take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now, back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. All right, we're talking about how finances can affect our lives and our relationships. And the first relationship we have is the relationship we have with ourselves. You know, if, uh, you know, if you're a type of person that when, when uh, going gets tough, the tough goes shopping, never a good idea. But a lot of people do shopping therapy. They're addicted to it. You know, Ross and... Uh, and uh, TJ Maxx and Marshalls and all those places that are all over the place, those places are dependent on uh, these impulse shoppers to to come in there and get a good deal because getting a good deal is what it's all about. It's not about what you're buying. A lot of people have closets and closets and garages and attics and basements full of garbage that they've bought over the years that they bought as an impulse and wasted thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars on. It would be a wonderful thing if they would just go out and do a rummage sale or something like that, but they don't, or give it to goodwill and make a tax write-off at least. But, uh, you know, the thing is, if we can stop that impulsive need to buy um, and, and really evaluate, do I need this or do I want this? You know, there's a big difference between a need and a want. And so when you need something, it's something that you absolutely identify with personally. It, it speaks to you. It's something that you can use in your daily life. It, it uh, speaks to how you are, who you are. That's a great thing. But then when you're buying something that you want, maybe it's an ideal of what you want, but it's not really what you need. It's just an ideal of what you would like to be. A lot of people have mega fantasy lives about what they would like to be and who they would like to be. And so they go out and they buy impulse crazy stuff that they know uh, in in the steady, normal flow of life doesn't identify with who they personify themselves as. 
So those those kind of purchases are fantasy purchases, but they don't really identify who that person is. Like if you saw some businessman from New York suddenly wear a cowboy hat, well, yeah, maybe they have this yearning to wear a cowboy hat, but indeed likely is uh, they're not going to uh, – step out in New York wearing a cowboy hat and, and expect everyone to associate with them. So it's kind of a, you know, these we have this fantasy life in our brain and sometimes we, we overspill and allow that fantasy life to drive our impulses. You know, uh, money is a good servant, but as a master, it, it doesn't make a good person. And people that are disciplined with money have what's called integrity. And that means they have a place in their life that they can be trusted to be diligent. And when people have learned to be diligent about something, and money is an important thing to be diligent about because that's our survival mechanism. That's what gets us by in life. That's what puts a roof over your head. So it's put food on the table. It's what takes care of the kids. It helps them go to college. God forbid if you can make that happen. You know, but the great thing is you really need to make money an important aspect of where you are disciplined. Think about, you know, think about what money mindset uh, describes your relationship. You know, looking at uh, the buyer remorse cycle, our thoughts and our feelings and our behaviors can come together to create a cycle. You know, so what happens to someone who has the belief or a money mindset when, when you know, the, they go shopping? This belief is held by many of us who shop as a way to cope with stress. So as a joke, some people call this reality, uh, retail therapy. Buying a way out of bad feeling is a cycle we want to perpetuate. And you don't want to perpetuate it. As, you, as you'll see, it, it's certainly not productive in the long term, no matter what your income level. And if you want to think about the people that do money therapy, well, look at all the places that Ross and Marshalls and TJ Maxx and Home Goods and all those places that do discount selling, look at how popular they are. They're almost in every urban city and, and big city in the United States on every corner. And they're dependent on impulse shopping, absolutely dependent, these industries. And they thrive because people are absolutely crazy. They will avoid their problems and go do therapy at the retail store by buying things. You know, after you ride that spending cycle to the mall and realize you feel no better, you might start criticizing yourself and you might tell yourself, I'll begin the saving tomorrow. And so your behavior has not brought you happiness, but what it brings you is even more insecurity and a sense of failure about yourself. So, you know, we want to help yourself. Then the other thing is it creates, as you're financially instable, it creates stress. And that's something, you know, we often talk about, but it's real meaning is really understood. You know, stress in our body's response to any demand made upon it. And so the cause of the demand can be either physical or psychological, but it's usually both. But either way, we're, we're required to change and adapt to the demand because we can't function very well if we're in a constant state of being ready to respond, which means people have to be in a constant state of reactiveness when they have no money. And so this exhausts our nervous systems and our immune systems, and it causes that fight or flight reaction on a long, ongoing, continuous day by day, throughout the day basis. And that fight or flight status 
eventually takes its toll on our health because our white blood cell count goes down. That means we're susceptible to illness. We're susceptible to depression. We're susceptible to panic attacks, anxiety, and all those things because we've allowed ourselves to be vulnerable. You know, our thoughts about money cause us stress because it's directly correlated to survival. And so when we worry about money and are afraid of losing money or anxious about how people will view us when we don't have enough money, we feel stress. And if we don't accept or reduce or escape or eliminate the thoughts that cause the stress, we're likely to suffer from headaches, upset stomach, trouble sleepy, moodiness, heart disease, obesity, skin disease, depression, which ups our health care bill. And it also ups our potential for death, which is another stressful thought process. So once again, we've got to get to the root in life of our finances. And if you can do that, then life can be a little bit easier and then we can focus on who we are as people. You know, um, if you look at the big stuff, the big stuff it can cause us enormous amount of uh, stress. If your expectation is that you have this great career job, that you have money in the bank, and that you have a nice new shiny home, and that everybody is thrilled and happy, you know that may be unrealistic. It may be the truth is right now in this phase of life, you're gearing up to be in that other phase of life that you want to have where you're super comfortable but if you can accept where you're at and say I'm in this little apartment and I'm getting by and yes we're all stuck together yes it's kind of you know a a bad situation in some regard but we're going to make the best of it and we're still going to put away money because we're still going to go for that lifestyle that we want to be comfortable with we want to be in the best school districts and all that stuff well those expectations if you desire to have them immediately are extremely depressing So, you know, your control to manage your finances and your thoughts about them is going to help. You know, so you want to distinguish between the big stuff, the big stresses, and the small stuff. You know, small stuff is, uh, you know, it's true like major life crises can cause a serious impact on your health, your income, your savings, your ability to manage your personal finances. But the small things can do that too. You know, small small stresses alone may not seem like they impact you very much, but when they add up, they wreak havoc on your life. Now, here's the thing that's a sense of what we would consider to be potentially small stuff. Last week's show, we talked about uh, uh, bad neighbors. Well, the deal is, if you have a bad neighbor, yes, that's small stuff, but it's big stuff. It's big stuff, too, because it's causing a lot of emotional anticipation in you. You know, and that in itself causes a lot of stressors. So, you know, it's very critical that there is a huge correlation between how you manage your finances and how your health is. The other thing is, if you look at marriage, uh, the number two statistic for divorce and breakups is finances. Number two. Number one, obviously, is affairs. So, you know, you want to identify your money mindset when you're coming into a relationship. So, one way to estimate the degree in which money plays a role in your love relationships is examine the the rules, the role in divorce. 
like so many areas of study, we discovered that experts don't agree. Many believe money ranks the top five reasons of divorce. Others say we just don't know the extent of its relationship to divorce because people can't accurately identify the causes for their relationship problem. However, experts agree on one thing, that divorcing couple list disagreements about money as a common theme in their failing marriage. And wouldn't it be good to have a positive, healthy relationship with money so that it's not impacting your love relationships in a negative manner? So to hold on to money, make it grow, and meet your financial obligations like financing college, you'll first need to understand how your thoughts trigger certain emotions and how these emotions influence your earning, your spending, and your saving habits. So you need to understand that you have control over these thoughts and and that with practice, you can improve your feelings and your behaviors about your money. You know, these thoughts, feelings, and behaviors, it's very important that our heart matter materials are designed for those of you with normal negative emotions that sometimes feel overwhelmed but go away shortly after you experience them. Now remember, All emotions cannot last more than three minutes unless you feed them. So if I'm going, okay, I'm going to go bankrupt tomorrow, well, have that worry and just sit with it. Yeah, I could go bankrupt tomorrow. Yes, I could go bankrupt. Don't go why I'm going to go bankrupt or how it's going to look when I go bankrupt or what am I going to do when I go bankrupt. Just go, yeah, I could go bankrupt tomorrow. Okay, Leave it at that. And if you just leave it at that one thought and stop bleeding into other thoughts, uh, all those other thoughts are adding three more minutes to that emotion. So let the, let the, the wave hit the shore. You know, it, it's really important that um, we ha- understand the underlying principle that we perceive the world through a lens of thoughts that are developed based on what we learn when we are, were growing up. And when we learn that we're capable of, as, uh, as competent children, we see ourselves as capable and competent adults. Um, you know, for instance, it's important for a, uh, if you were raising a child, let's say you got your child's five, six, seven years old, whatever, and you start to give them a dollar allowance and you have them save a quarter for themselves. That means they save it for their future. They give a quarter away to someone else to help someone else do something and they keep 50 cents of it and they can spend that on whatever they want so as they live on 50 cents that 50 cents can either go back into the pot of where the other quarter went or it can go into buying something else so the deal is some kids are going to want to spend 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 every week others are going to want to keep as many quarters as they can but the deal is what you're doing is teaching kids how to save and if you do that at an early age you're going to create a kid that has a different mindset than you may have had in your life you know love may make the world go round but but disagreements over money can stop even the best relationship dead in its tracks. You know, seven out of 10 couples report that money causes a whole lot of tension in their relationship. And that may be why so many couples avoid the topic entirely, particularly in the early stages, which is the most critical time to talk about finances in a relationship. You know, start talking about money right away. 
particularly if 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 it has been an issue in the past relationships you know uh it, it's important to talk about money and the topic of, of money without damaging what otherwise may be deeply fulfilling relationships because if you're building up steam to have this great relationship but you never talk about the money what eventually happens is that distrust over money after several months of never talking about it may blow up in your face and destroy something that could be the greatest thing in your life. Mature people will have financial conversations, and we're going to talk about how to have that because these relationships do not need to be destroyed. When you're in a relationship, you need to compromise, and that means you need to strategize about how you're going to survive. Couples survive via money. Money is the big thing. It's a logical thing. Love and trust, those are elements that we want to gain from it. But money is a place where you can gain love and trust because you're investing in your future as a couple. You know, so when you have those discussions, you have to make sure that it's really about money and it's not about trust and it's not about other issues. Don't throw other issues into the factor. You're just discussing budget. You know, uh, make, make it a neutral time also to talk about money. You know, uh, the goal with your, your new partner is to have a calm, relaxed discussion when there's no particular money issue at hand. Sit down with your partner and have money talk. Together, discuss different money scenarios and how each of you might dis- uh, discuss or resolve the scenarios, like an overdrawn checking account, fired from a high-paying job, loss of a credit uh, pros and cons of joint or separate checking accounts in a committed relationship. So if you have concerns about your spending habits, financial decisions, or role in managing money, express those thoughts in that relationship. That means I care about this relationship if I'm willing to have that money conversation. And bear in mind that not all people are comfortable talking about money right away in a relationship. Be patient, but persistent. And if you bring up the topic several times with your partner and they still get defensive, that might be a red flag that they may not be able to have honest communications about other things and they may not be mature enough to be in a relationship, especially a long term. The other thing is you want to understand your partner's perspective. You know, it means that you may not agree with him, but you're willing to hear what their perspective is on money. And, and that gives you an idea of whether this is a safe partner to be with. Let's just say this. If you have a partner that just eats whatever is on their, their farm and they never really grow it to be big and to make money, they just care about surviving, is that you? Is that you? And if it's not you, you really need to reconsider whether that person is someone you want to be with or whether you're willing to take on the stress that would would be involved in being with a person like that. All right. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to go straight into financial, unstable, romantic partners and how to identify them. Come back. <laughs> It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Dr. Gary Bell is available for speaking engagements as well as teaching at your seminar or workshop and life coaching via telephone Skype or in person in the Seattle area. Dr. Bell brings his no-nonsense, straight-from-the-hip discussions each week on the show, but it doesn't stop there. Learn about motivation and psychology, one-couple marriage repair, a two-day workshop in Seattle, and more. 
Visit drgbmft.com today or call Dr. Gary Bell at 951-818-7856. That's drgbmft.com or 951-818-7856. Moving forward can be difficult to do sometimes. There is always something going on. Many times, nobody else knows exactly what you're going through. If you are experiencing pain or loss, even something that is unexplained that is missing in your life, you'll want to tune into Go For It with host Joe Hausman. Joe and her guests will show you laughter and love. Sometimes you just need something a little positive in your week. Make that spot Tuesday mornings at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Empowerment. When you learn to see things from a spiritual perspective, it changes the way you see virtually everything in your life. Listen for Dr. Paula Joyce and her program, Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit. Our program will help you get rid of the negative aspects of your life and invite love, joy, and prosperity into your life. Turn that negative feeling into a positive one. Tune in to Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit, every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it will take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now, back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. All right, we're talking about the relationship of finances and how it affects our relationship, how it affects our mindset. Because the psychology of people that don't save money is hugely different than people that do save money. Uh, people that don't save money oftentimes are always living on the edge. They live in a life that's insecure, and uh, they have to live on faith all the time that things are going to go their way. I mean, they're basically just betting that all the good things are going to come easy for them throughout life, and that's just not going to happen. You know, uh, life is hard, and life throws us a lot of curves. And if you're not ready for that and you don't build yourself up financially to deal with that, you're going to find yourself living in a ditch, and it's not easy and not fun. And, yeah, you may be able to accept the fact that you're living in poverty, but does that really uh, the life that you wanted to live? And that doesn't mean people that live in poverty uh, it's, are bad people. It just means that we have more opportunity in life, obviously, when we have the resources to move into life socially. Money is what causes us to survive nowadays. It's not picking, you know, corn and eating it and picking, you know, fruit and all that stuff. It's about and, and hunting and it's really about money, and so it's unfortunate but and, and fortunate that we've created a easier way to get by in life. You know, but the important thing is with couples is you need to set rules and limits. You know, once you've become a committed couple, it's important to work together to come up with general spending rules or limits. You know, couples can pick from a, a number of possibilities. For instance, you can agree on a threshold amount like 
hundred bucks, two hundred dollars, which you can spend without needing to report or consult with another other with each other. But after that, you need to discuss it before the item is purchased. Alternately, for some couples, it's important to keep a budget, which includes tracking all spending on a weekly or a monthly basis, and then you discuss those options with your partner. Now, how do you identify that you have a person and you're early on in a relationship and you know there's something wrong that you're with an unstable romantic partner? So you have to know the signs. When you first start dating someone, financial stability may rank low in the list of attributes of, of that person. But the longer you date and the more important financial security and compatibility become, 59% of divorcees said that money played somewhat huge role in their divorces. And once again, it's the second highest reason that people get divorced. You know, let's hope you don't join their ranks. Catch financial instability early by keeping an eye out for the red flags from your partner. When you first start dating someone... Um, If your partner, if you find they're addicted to drugs, alcohol, shopping, or something else, that addiction can take precedence over everything else, including their financial health. And in some cases, funding that addiction can become more important than saving money, budgeting, or even buying necessities like food. Addiction is often a sign that a person has relationships with substances that are more important than anything else, including their overall financial life. And so people with addictions oftentimes are always going to be struggling with finances. You know, if they're an ignorant person, if if their partner has a high credit card debt or a low credit score but is working to remedy that situation, that's not necessarily a problem. But if that person doesn't know their credit score, uh, debts owed, or personal financial statistics, that's a warning sign. So look out for someone who doesn't have a good pulse on where they are in their finances. Also, if they have a stack of credit cards, unless your significant other is, is some kind of credit card rewards points genius, consider it a bad sign if they have a wallet budge, bulging with credit cards and other payment methods. It might mean that your partner isn't keeping tabs on their spending and is ignoring ever-increasing debt by spreading it out among payment methods. You know, the biggest thing is that can get you in debt is credit cards with no interest and 18 months, 15 months with no interest. A lot of people will pick up those credit cards and charge big debts on those and then they find they need another and then they need another and they dig themselves in and they think they're going to spend themselves out of or, you know, pay themselves out of those kind of debts. But those design, those are designed to drown you and they're designed to keep you on a leash. And so those credit cards can be a really bad way to buy today and then not survive tomorrow. You know, if you're looking at someone as a a potential partner financially and something just doesn't add up, they drive a flashy car, but they're always just showing up with fancy gadgets, clothes, accessories, but they don't seem to have a mortgage or a job that might be a sign of financial instability. It also might be a sign of a drug dealer. You know, the bottom line is you need to look and see what you're going to be matching up with. If that person is a show off financially, but they don't seem to have a lifestyle, that has the ability to create those sources, there is something wrong there. There's something very, very wrong and you need to get to the bottom of it and you need to put on the brakes and think, do I really need to throw myself into this problem where I might not be getting the full truth? 
You know, what if they lie to you? If you're seeing evidence that your partner isn't telling you the whole truth about their financial situation, like hiding purchases, you know, sweeping bills under the rug or flipping or, or, or fibbing about their financial details, you know, you should be very wary of that. It could signal that they're financially unstable. Yeah, they may be great in bed, but you know what? They may not be the best person to be with in your life. And yes, they may have uh, be able to show you a great time right now because they might be in a good place financially, but that may also tell you that they're not a good person with money. You know, if uh, another indication that the person you're with, uh, especially a female, uh, many times is if all your activities revolve around shopping. If shopping is the name of the game, whenever you spend time together, you may be in a relationship with a shopaholic. So when someone enters the store thinking, what can I buy here? As opposed to what do I really need? You know, they're looking for the high that spending gives them. And so, uh, you know, it's it's uh, important for us to understand that, hey, am I stuck in a store with this person all the time? If you're stuck in the store with that person all the time and they're just shopping and they're not there for a certain type of purchase, it's a good idea that that person is an impulse buyer and they're going to get those impulses before they're going to maintain that relationship with you. You know, what do you do if you suspect financial instability? Well, if you ferret out financial issues in your partner's life, then you, the next course of action really depends on the seriousness of the issue and the strength of your relationship. So a positive way to address your concerns with someone is to frame the conversation around financial goals. So you suggest ways to bring your partner along as opposed to just abandoning them. You know, regular meetings with the two of you. You know, you may get a counselor of financial professional, depending on the circumstances, but to help you make progress on the situation. You know, there's a, a, a eHarmony has this pre-coupling checklist. And, and uh, the biggest thing is differences over the finances they know are one of the biggest uh, causes that people uh, uh, break up. So, you know, the biggest questions to ask is what assets and accounts are you bringing to the relationship? What are your debts, including your credit cards? These are things you need to be asking. You know, what is your credit score? Do you have any bankruptcies or other negative financial events that I need to know about? Do, do you want to create a prenuptial agreement? You know, compare spending habits and expectations. Are you a spender? Are you a saver? Um, how do you spend your discretionary money? What, what is acceptable monthly amount to spend on non-essentials? What things do you consider to be essential versus non-essential? Those are good questions you want to ask somebody that you're trying to develop a relationship with. Do you want to combine accounts or have separate accounts? Good to know that early. Really good to know that early. Do you think we should pay off credit card balances each month or carry a balance every single month you know um do you have a financial advisor who will, will we be uh, continuing to, to do business with if you do as a couple so you know also defining your roles huge thing how important is managing the finances this is a good question who will build and mentor uh, monitor the budget another good question who will file the taxes you know, who's agreeing on our future? Who's agreeing on the time frames of big purchases like houses and cars, when to have children, what schools our children will go to? Those are huge questions that people need to ask as far as um, trying to understand what they're getting into. You know, debt is an emotionally charged word, and it can prompt feelings of anxiety, shame, 
guilt. Many people swimming in debt may also feel trapped and hopeless, and they're not alone. You know, the whole, the total, and just in 2017, statistically, household debt rose to $12.96 trillion in just the third quarter of 2017. Isn't that amazing? That's the Federal uh, Reserve Bank in New York's uh, microeconomic uh, data quarterly report on household debt and credit. You know, unfortunately, there's no quick fix that can make debt disappear. You know, it takes uh, dedication. It takes diligence. And there, there, there is one powerful overlooked tool that can be used for, to motivate yourself, which is your mental strength, your resiliency. You know, your thoughts affect the way you feel and the way you act. And so what you want to do is think about what paying off debt sounds and how overwhelming that pain is of having debt and how you would like to never have to live with that again. So you reframe your thoughts. Negative emotions associated with debt keep you from reaching your, your repayment goals. And so someone who believes they'll be able to pay down their credit card balances is less motivated to try and may give up too soon. You know, so so perception is is projection, and we think uh, what we think becomes our reality. And so, reframing thoughts to become focused on where you're going and use affirmations it opens up a world of possibilities and leads to positive energy. It also creates great self-esteem, especially if you stick to your financial uh, plan to pay off that debt. You know, also overcoming your fear of debt. When faced with a large amount of debt across multiple accounts, a person's fear of their current financial situation and how much they owe can create a roadblock towards reaching their goals. So overcoming this fear is crucial. You know, the first thing you need to do as a human being in this life is to face your debt. Many people fear adding it up because it's anxiety provoking, but you can't change your behavior until you know exactly how you're going to deal with it because that is an obstacle you have to deal with throughout the whole process of life. You know, assessing what your debt is and how you can pay it off with the sources that you have. And, And imagine a debt-free life, spending time to visualize what debt-free life might look like, how you'd feel walking down the street, envisioning yourself reaching a goal motivates you to act like a person you want to become. So imagine yourself paying off your debt and eventually enjoying a debt-free life can give you a brief taste of what that life would be like and gives you hope that you can achieve your goals. It's like leaving prison. And, you know, if you let go of your limiting beliefs, that thoughts that inhibit behaviors and actions that, are, that keep you from reaching your goals, that's something you need to absolutely do if you're going to pay off debt. By, by letting go of limiting beliefs like feelings of uh, uh, I, I'm weighed down by the ideas or thoughts that I can't uh, pay off my debt or I'm too depressed so I'm just going to lay in bed and not go to work today. That means I can't pay my debt off. That's going to stress you out even more and make you even more depressed. You know, build momentum by paying down small bills first. Pay the small bills down and then start to tackle the big bills. Automate your payments so willpower can't get in the way. So those payments are automatically taken directly out of your checking account without you sitting down with a check and negotiating with yourself what you're going to pay. 
you know, you want to track your progress so that you can stay motivated as far as what you're doing to, to get that down. Establish a reward system to avoid burnout. So when you reach a certain goal, then you have a, something you can give to yourself. You know, each small milestone you reach will give you confidence that you can reach the next hurdle. And then you want to celebrate your achievement. That allows you to appreciate the hard work you put in. And, and you also want to rely on someone else to keep you accountable. That's a huge thing. And, and, and uh, identify those emotional spending triggers that when you're feeling such a way, this is when I go out and spend money that I shouldn't be spending. Being able to self-identify your triggers is a huge way that you can control your debt. All right, that's our show. I want to thank everybody for listening. I'd love to hear from you. DRGBMFT at SBCGlobal.net. I'm currently seeing clients in person or by email. So remember, or not email, but by, uh, by electronic means such as Skype. So remember, if you ever need to borrow money, do it from a pessimist. They will never expect it back. Also, Money is, is the one thing that will keep you in touch with your children for the rest of your life. I guarantee it, especially if you're providing money to them. Money talks. It mostly says goodbye. All right. That's our show. Thanks for listening. That's our show for this week. Please join Dr. Gary Bell for another edition of Absurd Psychology next Friday at 12 noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now go impress your friends and family with what you've learned today and have them tune in next week so they can be almost as smart as you. 